Hello and welcome to the stories that brought you here, a podcast that's dedicated to the stories of the people living on a small island off the coast of British Columbia called Pender. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and it's my absolute pleasure to get to bring you one-on-one interviews with people from our community to get to find out why they decided to come live here and also find out the stories that turn them into the person that they are today. This go-around, I'm going to be speaking with Shelley Richards. Now, I think a lot of you might know Shelley from her time working at the Pender Island Medical Center. And if you don't know her from that, you might know her from her catering business called Shell's Kitchen. And if you know her from neither of those things, well, get ready to find out a whole bunch of new stuff about this wonderful person. Because in this interview I did with Shelley a little while ago, I got to find out a lot of incredible things about her. First off, her background growing up in Souk how she got so involved with music before moving to the island and especially after moving to the island. We're going to get to hear about her and her husband Steve's epic Halloween parties that they had for years at their house. And we're also going to get to hear Shelley explain how she met her husband Steve, which is a pretty hilarious little story. All that and more in this wonderful little interview that I really enjoyed doing so much. Uh, I didn't know Shelley super well before this podcast, but It was such a treat to get to speak with her and actually found myself thanking her on a few occasions during the interview for things that she's done for the community. One of those things being her work as a moderator on a few online pages through Facebook, the Market, the Forum, and Positive Vibes page. I can't stress enough how amazing it is for me to get to do these interviews and find out things about people and it's such a wonderful experience that I get to have doing this and just a heads up that this interview hits the ground running because we start off with Shelley midway through a story talking about her involvement with a singer-songwriter CD that came out on the island with island musicians and the way I like to do interviews these days is just to hit record and have a little preamble discussion before we get started so I pick up her story sort of midway through, but we wind up circling back to it later on in the interview. So with that out of the way, and one more thing to say, which is thank you for showing up for this. I appreciate you being here. Let's hear a little bit of music, and then let's hear my interview with Shelley Richards. Was that the first time that you were on a CD before? Your music was on a CD? For purchase, yes. I did some demos at a studio in Victoria when I was in my 20s um, of some originals of mine as well. And I never really did anything with it. I don't know. I guess I didn't really know how to go about going anywhere with my music at that point in time, even though I had some connections. But I always had to work full time doing other stuff. (laughs) So I couldn't really find the way to transition between a day job and being a paid musician and go somewhere with it. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem practical to me at the time, even though I kept up with my music and still played with bands and um, at live venues. And yeah. Okay. And, um, but here, that was the first sort of official published CD that I was on that was sold to the community. So. Cool. That must have felt pretty good, right? It was good. It wasn't just me alone. I mean, it was my song, but um, I've been part of a band called Pitch and Wood for a few years. 
And we're not super active right now, but once in a blue moon, we still do get together and make music. And probably the last time was this past summer. So, yeah. Okay. We we still connect occasionally. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure we get deep into that for sure. But um, <clears throat> let's start off with the traditional first question, which is what brought you to Pender Island? Okay. Um, I was working full time at a cardiology office in Victoria as a medical office assistant. And my husband and I decided to have a baby. So I was going to eventually go on maternity leave. And in the meantime, one of his buddies told us we should come and look at properties on Pender because they were really super cheap at the time, around 50 grand for a half acre lot in Magic Lake. So by the time we came over and checked it out, we found a lot. It was a little bit more by then, but it was right around the corner from our buddy's place. So we bought it and started building and we just thought this would be a great place to raise our son and that I didn't have to go to back to work anytime soon. So we moved over here when he was six months old into the house we built and then I uh, stayed at home as a mom until he was in grade three. Our son was in grade three. Wow. So it yeah. sounds like you guys built a house super quick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so you were pregnant and then by the time he was six months, he moved in. So, well, we were planning on, yeah. get How did that work? We were planning on getting pregnant. So uh, we came and looked at property. We bought property. I got pregnant. And then the house was built during my pregnancy. It wasn't totally at lock, lock up. Is that what it's called? Where you I think can so, yeah. yeah. Go in where you can actually move into the house until my son was six months. So we couldn't actually complete the move until he was six months old. So I guess it was less than a year it took. We started building in June, I think it was, 2005. He was born in September, and then we moved here in April 2006. Okay. Yeah, it was what, fast. Yeah, totally. Well, what do you remember of that time? Because the island was so different in 2005, 2006. But what was your uh, first impression of the island when you came to look at it and you thought about buying property? And then when you first moved to the island, you're like, okay, this is where I'm going to live now in a home that we built. Um, I My first experience with the island was that the community seemed very friendly. Everybody waved, said hello, and you walked down the um, pathways through the Driftwood Center and Everybody was very welcoming and especially having a baby. <laughs> that Once I had the baby, once we moved here, everybody was, yeah, super friendly. And I met a lot of people really quickly and made a lot of friends really quickly. Uh, I never had that experience anywhere else I lived in my life. So, yeah, I guess that's what really got me. And I was very happy to, to live here and amongst a bunch of friendly people because that's the way I am I guess so how did you make friends back in those days was it the fact that you were a new mom and it was new moms that you were connecting with or uh, yeah I, w I would think yeah a lot of there were a fair few um other moms and dads with uh babies in fact one of my first experiences was meeting another local couple in the driftwood center sort of central park area uh grassy area a man was sitting down with his baby and I was sitting down with Trevor and the babies started sort of interacting and we started chatting and then his wife came over and we started chatting and, and it just seemed like it was really easy to make friends that way. Whereas in the city, it just didn't seem as, as opening and friendly, but yeah. And it just seemed like that overall, um, it was very quick to meet other 
moms. There was a play group at the time, which was really oriented towards uh, babies and toddlers. It's now uh, called the Epicenter, which is more oriented towards teens. But it was definitely like a, a small child play group back then. So that made it um, easier as well to meet up with people and, and make friendships. Okay, cool. And so at that time, 2005, 2006, there was a lot of young families or like a handful of them? Or yeah. what was the demographic of the island then? It was a pretty good handful. I, I would say there are a lot more now. Mm. Back then there were, yeah, there was enough to make like this this playgroup place. And um, there were a lot of sort of young families with the same ideals and morals that were all here, like the, here for the same reason, to raise their child in a small, uh, friendly community with a large support group of other community members that were would be happy to help in, in the case that something came up, which it did a couple of times over the years. There were a couple of children uh, born with severe health problems and um, the entire community. Um, <laughs> I get emotional when I think about this, but the entire community really... um went all out to support these families and help them get what they needed. Um, whether it be, you know, help to get back and forth with the children's hospitals or meals or money to help them get through paying their rent or whatever they needed to do. But everybody just, I mean, I've never seen anything like that kind of support in my life. I came from a much bigger town. And I remember there was this one time this child was born with a uh, pretty bad cancer and this town of 15,000 plus people came up with a whopping five grand for this family in a, in a course of a couple of months. And in Pender, within a few weeks, there was like 40 grand raised for this family. And um, yeah, it was just mind blowing. And not just about the money, but about people who came out to help make these things happen, events, charity events. I mean, everybody, it seemed like every single person almost did something. But anyway, that's that's what really, really gets me thinking about Pender and just how awesome of a community it's been over the years. Cool. <laughs> was that Joe Down's son? Um, Is that he was one of them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then there was um, Fergus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember Fergus? And there was another little baby, um, Kaya, who uh, used to live here. She doesn't live here anymore. Uh, that was the first of them. Uh, I think that we did a some fundraising for, but uh, yeah, that's at least three families for sure. That uh, it's it's hard to believe that that severe level of child illness could happen in just such a small community, and uh, that so many people were just ready to jump right in and help, even if they didn't know the people. Yeah, but, totally. It it's so amazing to think of how people came together during those times. Yeah, I actually interviewed Joe and he talked about just how grateful he was for how everybody came out mm -hmm. and helped. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, okay, you're uh you you're a new mom, you're making new friends easily. And that's so cool to hear you say that it was the easiest place you've ever had to make new friends. I kind of feel the yeah. same way myself as well, too, actually. Mm -hmm. I've never had an opportunity to make as many friends as I have here. Um but yeah, so uh, how did the uh, transition go into the first few years of uh, motherhood and and being on the island? Uh, what what came next? Uh, well, I mean, at the time, well, my parents still lived in um, Souk on Vancouver Island. So we did a lot of back and forth, just 
visiting or my parents would come over and visit us. So that happened a lot. Now, after all these years, I have to say I hardly ever leave the island. <laughs> I don't like to leave the island anymore. It feels so peaceful and comfortable here and um, relaxed compared to going to the city where, you know, everybody's trying to run you over on the road or <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's like chaos, even Victoria, which is a small city. Uh, which I grew up near, but yeah, I don't know, I guess. And then Trevor went into school, which I found was great. Um, the teachers were all very supportive and the kids were all great coming from families with similar morals and values of, you know, kindness and generosity. So yeah, okay. it's a good place to, to raise him. So I, I know on the side that you've been for years doing uh, cooking and catering for people, and I don't, I don't know how that started. So, uh, how how did that start, Shelly? How did you start doing that? Well, uh, I guess I've been baking and cooking my whole life. Um, my parents were super enthusiastic about food. My mom used to be the head cook at a uh, the officers' mess on the military base we lived at when I was a small child, and then when my when my dad retired from the military, they moved to Victoria. He took on a just sort of a leisurely job, and so did she. But then they just did some catering jobs on the side. So I was always very intrigued with the food that they were preparing and um, started doing some of my own food prep and baking. And when I was working at the cardiology office, I started baking cakes for weddings and special occasions. I don't even know how that really got started, but as soon as I... I got a few out there and then I got more requests and more requests and then by the time I left there I moved to Pender and then I started baking cakes here and then I went into the fall fair and uh, baked a bunch of stuff for that which I won a couple trophies for way back then but yeah. then <laughs> um, then somebody approached me about cooking for their family so I went and had a meeting with her and I was actually recommended by Teresa Carl Sanders. I don't even think she lives here anymore. She just moved out. She just Island. moved, yeah. yeah. So I guess the lady had approached her first and she was too busy and had moved on from catering, probably working on her books. <laughs> um, but uh, so she asked me and I, I went and chatted with her and we hit it off and I started cooking for her now. That would be 10 years ago. So... This would be a regular summer thing that I, I pretty much exclusively cooked for that family during like seasonally during the summer months and uh, maybe took on the odd wedding cake here and there if I knew they were going to be away. <laughs> so in the interim, the rest of the year, because that was going so well, I decided to start accepting other catering jobs um, when I was approached. Yeah, I guess that's the history <laughs> of that. I did go into um, art reach cooking competition a few years ago in Victoria which it was an event to raise money to help schools that didn't have a lot of money for their arts programs so um, chefs from all around would go in and donate their time and their food their staff everything to participate in this event which I think was a really really good event but it was it was a lot of work to try and sort of organize that from here and go over. So I did it the one year, was invited back the next, but I um, 
I chose not to go because it was just going to be too much work. So, and I just don't have a massive, massive commercial kitchen to prepare food for 500 people. In. So, totally. But it's something you clearly love doing. I right? do. Yeah. yeah. So, I recently retired from, uh, I've been working. I worked at the Pender Island Clinic, too, for eight and a half years, and I recently, uh, I had intended all along to retire when I was 50 from healthcare and try to move forward more with my food work, which is my passion. Uh, it took a little while because we didn't have any applicants. It was really hard to find people through these times, and uh, so we did finally find some from some new recruits there, so I was able to retire recently and go full force with my uh, my food work. Nice, nice. Mm. I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about the clinic or not, but I think that's how most people know you on the island is from that uh, experience, or a lot of people know yeah. you probably from the experience of being at the clinic for eight and a half years, and you're no longer there. Uh, how was the experience of working at the clinic? Um, well, I, I enjoyed it. I made some new friendships, and everybody. Um, I think it was a really, really good place to work. I met a lot of nice people, not just uh, co-workers, but patients as well. And uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of helped me get to know the island a little more. Um, I think it's a really good setup there too. But yeah, it was an enjoyable experience. I think uh, I've always enjoyed working in healthcare. But I thought, you know, there's got to be a time that I have to pick something to focus on because it was quite draining to try it and try to focus on um, two separate careers that I had going on there and my real passion was in the culinary arts so that's uh, I thought now or never <laughs> you worked with my wife for a period of time there and um, mm -hmm. it seems like an intense job that uh, maybe from the outside looking in uh, might not appear that way but uh, it seems like uh, in a situation like that dealing health care you're always dealing with people who might not be at their best because they're unhealthy and that's why they're there. Right. And yeah. it seems like it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of energy to, to do that role. It definitely can. I found that definitely more so in family practice than I did in cardiology because you're right. Yeah. A lot of times people were coming in and they're just, they could be in a foul mood. It's nothing personal, but they could be snappy because they, yeah, they're not feeling well. They're tired. They're cranky. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to be spending their time at the doctor's office. So, yeah, there are definitely times when that's difficult, but you just have to compartmentalize and, and realize that, you know, you're there to, uh, in healthcare, so you're there to care, and you do care. I care about people, and I, I wanted to help make their experience um, the best that I could to make them comfortable when they're, when they're trying to look after themselves, for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for doing that for the community for so long. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Just to back it up, we're going to go way back into the past now because you mentioned that you grew up, was it just outside of Victoria, you said? Yeah, I grew up um, primarily in Souk. There was a, a short time that I lived in the city as a child, part-time during the week, and then my parents had a home in Souk, so that they ultimately wanted a full-time retire in, so we would go there on weekends. And uh, I was the youngest of six daughters so I was kind of an afterthought so um, <laughs> I got to enjoy a little bit different life than my sisters did uh kind of having two homes at once and I don't know it was yeah so I grew up but when my dad retired from that job in town where we had to live in an apartment so he could go to work uh we lived I grew up in Souk went to school there went to high school there and uh it was different definitely a different community than here 
I found it not as easy to make. I mean, I did have some good friends growing up, but I found overall, especially as an adult, I didn't find it was as easy in a, pl- a place to uh, to make good friends. Um, um, you know, I had a lot of acquaintances there, not saying they're not friends. <laughs> no offense to anybody, for sure. But it's a definitely different dynamic in this community than it was there. Uh, but I grew up on a lake, which was nice, so jump out in the lake in the summertime and um but souk started really growing uh when we decided that we were gonna have a baby souk was really like growing exponentially and it's not somewhere where i envisioned raising our son so that's when we started considering pender (laughs) as a community especially after well i mean we already had a buddy who was living here part-time and um, he really highly recommended it. Sadly, since then he's passed away. But um, who was it? Uh, his name was Rocky Cross. He Rocky Cross Construction. So he had built a weekend home here or a getaway home because his wife had uh, had uh, gotten breast cancer. And after she'd been over here a couple times, <laughs> ironically, she decided she didn't really like it over here because she was really a city girl at heart. So he died of a brain tumor. She recovered from cancer and then she moved to Calgary. So we never, we never really even got to spend time with them be here on Pender before any of that happened. Uh, by the time we had uh, moved into our house, um, it was shortly after that that Rocky passed away. So, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, it's yeah. hard to hear that. So. Yeah, yeah. He was a good guy. I mean, he and, he and my husband were, were buddies. Um, you know, they weren't super close, hang out all the time buddies, but colleagues in the construction industry, for sure. And our older sons were best friends at the time. So, yeah. yeah. I got so many questions to ask about your childhood. <laughs> you grew up on the side of a lake and you could just jump in the lake all the time? That's my dream come true. Yeah. I mean, we weren't right on the lake, but we were literally like, I mean, you could see the lake from my dad's, or, well, my dad. My mom's passed away now, but um, from his backyard, still can, obviously, but, and it was just literally run down the road, you know, 50 meters, and there was a public dock there, so you just kind of jump in the lake. and Sweet. Yeah, it was nice. What was the name of the lake? Kemp Lake. Kemp Lake? Kemp. Okay, is it pretty big, or? Uh, no, just a small lake. It's probably about the size of, like, Row Lake, I uh, would compare it to. Okay. Yeah. I love lakes. I love swimming in lakes yeah, and jumping too. in lakes. Yeah, great same here <laughs> okay so you are the youngest of six girls yeah were there any boys no <laughs> what seriously your parents had six girls yeah i think i was the last feeble attempt for a boy because i was eight years after my fifth born sister and they only had a boy's name picked out for me <laughs> what was that alan okay that's <laughs> gonna be alan <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, because I already had a cousin named Alan, so I don't know why they would want me to be called Alan. So Shelley was a last-minute decision on my dad's part. <laughs> okay, so your your next oldest sister is eight years older than you. Yes. Okay, next closest <laughs> sister, I guess I should yeah. say. Okay, so uh, what was that like? What was it like growing up in a house with six uh, six well, girls in one house? Well, I think when I was born, my oldest sister had already left home. Uh, I barely knew her at all until I was probably six or seven. And my other older sisters had moved out shortly after. 
I think a lot of girls moved out seemingly pretty young at that, like back in those days, like 16, 17, you know, as soon as they finished high school or if they didn't like house rules or whatever. I mean, it was very different times. Even my sister, who's just older than me, we we moved out from Alberta when I was seven and she had a boyfriend back in Alberta. <laughs> so she wanted to get back to him as soon as possible. So she moved out when she was 17 to go be with him and got married at 18. So, yeah, I I was kind of a little like I really didn't have a lot of sister time when I was growing up. So, I mean, I was what eight when she left. So I only had sisters around till I was eight. <laughs> okay yeah wow and then i had uh, i had my parents undivided attention after that it was kind of unique i suppose compared to the rest of my sisters so and so you said your mom passed away my condolences i'm sorry uh, oh it's okay it was a while back now <laughs> okay. eight, eight years ago i think now yeah uh what while. what was your mom's name loretta loretta mm-hmm. and what is your father's name kenneth kenneth yeah. Okay, I love asking about people's parents, and uh, if you're okay to talk about uh, your parents a little bit, just yeah. what uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll first start with uh, your dad. Uh, um, what can you tell us about your dad, Kenneth? Well, my dad was one of nine siblings, and uh, about um, half and half, roughly half and half, four four girls and five boys, I think. Um, yeah, he grew up in tiny little Water Valley, Alberta. Joined the military, I guess, shortly after. He married my mom. He was 24. She was 16. <laughs> and so he joined the military to make a living. And uh, I've been really close with my dad most of my life. I was kind of the the daughter he got to raise, be part in raising, because he was away a lot in the military when my other sisters were being raised. So they didn't really get a lot of dad time. And so he taught me how to work on cars. And he taught me how to be handy around the house. and um, taught me how to bake bread. He was uh, very fond of his mother who taught him a lot about gardening and baking and whatnot when he was little. So he finally had the time to pass thing, those kinds of things on to at least one of his daughters anyways. <laughs> and the rest of my sisters have tried to learn, you know, whenever they visit him, they've gotten a chance to <laughs> learn a little bit more from him once he retired. But uh, yeah, so it's he kind of me, raised me almost like the son he didn't have, you know, the one he taught to work on cars and everything. <laughs> but then again, he, you know, he was also very protective of me as a daughter, as he was all of his other daughters. But yeah, and my dad's, uh, oh, he's a seamstress too. He used to make my mom beautiful outfits. Well, really? Yeah. So I don't know how he, he just has a total knack for sewing. He's 92 now and he's still making full-size quilts. He does all the cool, like the patches and patchwork. My uh, one of my sisters who lives in Souk, she finishes off the quilts with the batting and the backing for him. But he does all the squares himself. Um, he picks out all the fabrics and um, she takes him to help get that kind of stuff done. She lives nearby, which is very handy, which is I'm very thankful for. <laughs> yeah, he's an awesome baker. He's an awesome seamstress, and uh, he was overall an awesome dad over the years. So wow. Right on. Yeah, did, very lucky. <laughs> did he teach you how to work on cars? Were you interested in working yeah, on cars? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I changed a motor mount when I was like 18 all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Where you go. Ford LTD, which is a big car. 
Hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, hilariously awesome. That's fantastic. Seriously. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I could work on modern day cars, but those old ones. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I can change a tire at least. <laughs> and uh, and your mom. What, uh, what could you tell us about your mom? Oh, my mom was a uh, totally awesome human being. She was uh, not that my dad wasn't. He was kind of a bit of antisocial and he, the other side of him was a bit of an antisocial grump. <laughs> but my, uh, he was a good dad otherwise. But my mom, she was like super outgoing, super friendly. She had tons of friends, uh, very social. We got along really well. So she uh, was only one of two siblings. So they did have an older sister who passed when she was about two. But um, she also grew up in Water Valley. She lost her own mother when she was four. So she was shifted around from family members to friends over the years until probably the age of 16 when she was fed up with being (laughs) not having a home of her own really uh because her dad and her brother had to work all the time so they couldn't look after her growing up so that's why she was shuffled around home to home and then then uh, my dad proposed to her and she's like yep i'm out of (laughs) here and ever since then after that i guess because she had nothing her whole life that was her own that she pretty much hoarded everything (laughs) she she uh sort of acquired over the years with my dad and she was so she was a real hoarder I suppose there are worse hoarders at least she was kind of like a a clean hoarder (laughs) so to speak she didn't keep newspapers and that but definitely like old calendars and every single greeting card anybody gave her and every single piece of material that she had along the way like she wouldn't throw anything away But yet you could say, mom, do we have any of this? It could be some random object. And she'd be like, hmm, I think so. And then she would disappear into the back room and 20 minutes later come out with exactly what you were looking for. So there was an upside to her hoarding for sure. (laughs) She was super crafty, artsy. She was always trying to be healthy and, um, you know, very sort of pro West Coast health when she moved when they moved out here, which was which was nice. It was very different than life in Alberta. It was all definitely at the time meat and potatoes when they left there. And then out here, she was getting into salads and lots of veggies and very plant forward. And my dad just followed along with it, which was great. She was a great grandparent, too. She always made sure every 19 of her grandchildren got a Christmas present, a birthday present every year, and all her daughters and all their husbands and... <laughs> She was, she was very on it that way. Like every family member was special to her. So, yeah. That's really nice. What, <laughs> what do you think would be like the most important lesson that you learned from your mom? I would say um, just be kind. All my friends loved my mom. They thought she was the, ba- they thought she was the best and um, that she was the nicest person they'd ever met. So um, I guess that's what I have done my best to take from her (laughs) over life. Um, I'm recently connecting with some family members from both sides of my family now. I just took it upon myself since retiring from the clinic and my little bit of spare time between cooking jobs to um, connect with uh, some Levesque's and some Jordans um, originating from Water Valley area. So yeah, I've met quite a few people thanks to Facebook. (laughs) So, yeah, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't even have known half of them exist. So, To be kind. That's so sweet to hear that she uh, 
she thought every family member was like equally important. That's really a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah. Lovely. And she didn't exclude anyone. I mean, she, out of all my family, I think, um, she was the only one that didn't exclude, uh, I shouldn't say that cause they might listen to this, but I, I shouldn't say that. So, um, my mom really, what I should say is it really included my stepchildren as her grandchildren as well. Okay. And nobody else in the family accepted them in the same capacity that she did. Um, they did welcome my stepchildren in, you know, certain cases and uh, treated them kindly. But as for, you know, if, if anybody else was saying, they'd say, oh, yeah, my parents have 15 grandchildren instead of 19 grandchildren. Whereas my mom always said, no, I have 19 grandchildren. So, and she always made sure that they got their birthday and Christmas presents and cards and she'd, you know, hand them or my, my, actually my dad would too every now and then if he'd see my step, step or my steps on and hand him money <laughs> if he saw him running his bike around in souk or something. But, uh, no, I, but I would say that that's, that's one thing about my mama. She just love, uh, was thicker than blood with her. So. Yay mom. Yay yeah. mom. Yeah. Um, I was really curious, like, when you were speaking, that uh, I was wondering what you were like as a teenager and what sort of the hobbies you had as a teenager in Souk and, uh, <laughs> what, and what that was like for you. Oh, life in Souk as a teenager. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you had to make things to do. Uh, sometimes we'd hop on the bus and go into Langford to the public swimming pool because when I grew up in Souk, there was no public swimming pool. Uh, there is now. <laughs> there was a skating rink in Souk, so in the winter we would do that. And sometimes, some summers they would allow roller skating and some summers they wouldn't. I don't know what that was all about. But uh, other than that, <clears throat> I mean, my one of my best friends just lived up and around the corner from me and we used to sneak out some nights in the summer at like midnight, not to get up to mischief, but to walk up to the what was our bus stop and lay on the road and look at the stars. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we'd meet other friends who walked from farther distances and we'd just walk around. We wouldn't get into anything or be up to no good. And Or sometimes I would just go by myself walking in the rain with my dog through the forest. And there's the trail that went partway around the lake, um, sort of broken up here and there. But yeah, so you had to be careful about cougars and, and bears. Bears weren't really in the area at the time when I grew up there, they are now definitely, but, um, did encounter a cougar once on our walk, but I had a husky and he just kind of kept him barked up a tree and <laughs> the cougar showed itself. Oh yeah. It was up in a tree. It was kind of up the tree already. Okay. And my dog noticed it and just barked it, barked at it for a while. And I knew that it wasn't going to come after us, you know, with a barking, you know, dog. So <laughs> that's funny. Like, like running that. into a cougar in your lifetime. It's one of those stories you never forget. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really think much of it back then. Just I guess because I had the dog. If I didn't have the dog, I probably would have been a little more freaked out. But I was always told, and I kind of figured out I would as well. Like if you're by yourself and you run into a cougar, to start barking like crazy at it because they don't like loud, sharp noises. It scares uh, them. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. I was instructed that uh, you never break eye contact with them because it's this dominance thing that mm. uh, that stories from the past where people would look down to grab a stick and mm -hmm. break in eye contact and that's when the attack oh, would happen yeah. and yeah. that uh, i always remember that about cougars if i ran into one don't I, break eye contact i heard that too but i'm not sure because it's like okay 
Well, then how are you going to get out of that situation if you don't break eye contact? Yeah, I just feel are around. Are just going to leave? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just like get a big stick and then Watching scare you, it buddy. off. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we never have to go through that circumstance. No, no, but, no. But when, so when you were a teenager, what were you dreaming of? What were what was like your passion when you were uh, like, you know, in your later teens or mid-teens in high school? What, what did you um, think you were going to do? I... I had no idea what I wanted to do. I know once I um I left the high school in Souk to go to Belmont Senior Secondary School for grades 11 and 12 because I felt it had more opportunity. The Souk High School at the time was very limited. Uh, they really didn't have any programs, so to speak. So I went there and I, I got into choral music, which... They had a sort of band and choral music program in Belmont. So I did that, which I think really helped shape my future in music. Um, Aside from growing up in a musical family and, you know, sitting around and playing guitars and harmonizing with sisters and my dad. And uh, I think it just shaped me a little more with musical theory, understanding how to play with other people than family. And I really looked up to my choral music teacher. She was, uh, Joyce Copan was her name. I'll never forget her. She was amazing. She was so amazing. What else did I do? I I found out in uh, senior high school that I had a passion for sciences as well, which is interesting. And oddly enough, I never took home ec beyond grade eight (laughs) in school because I kept thinking, I know how to cook and I know how to sew. I'm learning all this at home. You know, it's my dad's can sew amazing things and uh, I pretty much knew everything I was being taught at that level so I figured I didn't need it and kind of in retrospect I look back and I wonder what it would have been like had I pursued with back then what was called home ec (laughs) you know there was no culinary arts programs in high school then and I don't I know I'm deviating off the course here but no not at all looking back also it was very rare to find a female chef or head cook, uh, what have you. Um, FYI, the term chef is just translated from the French word chef, which means boss. So (laughs) if you're the boss of your kitchen, you're the chef. You do not have to have a certificate (laughs) to be called that. So you can call yourself what you want. In fact, now even in culinary school, they call it um, uh, the Red Seal cook. They don't even refer to it as chef. Uh, anyway, that's completely off topic. That's all good. That's interesting. It just, it just kind I, of wraps my brain around this sort of my process through education and how I wound up where I am. But uh, yeah, so I went into uh, the Victoria Conservatory of Music uh, when I was 18 for vocals. I only did a year there. I got a scholarship to go back, but then I chose not to go back because I wanted to pursue sciences at uh Camosun. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I still didn't really want to know what I wanted to do. And um, then I wound up with this job at Western Cardiology, where I worked for uh, almost 10 years as a medical office assistant. Oh, I should back that up because uh, when I was 20, I wound up sort of taking a hiatus with college and working for a family doctor in Souk. So I started working for him because... (laughs) A friend of mine who I, I grew up with and went to school with, Henry Vizi, he kept bugging me to go work for his dad, who was one of the local town doctors at the time. And uh, so finally, uh, his MOA that he'd had for a few years was leaving to go do something else. And 
Henry called me and he said, you should go and apply to work for my dad <laughs> again and again. So I went and talked to Dr. Vizi and started working for him. So I worked for him for four years. And uh, then I wound up getting in a motor vehicle accident. It wasn't severe or anything, but it was enough that I needed some time off and he couldn't go without a an MOA. And um, I had moved to town. So I was commuting from Victoria to Souk to go to my job there. So in the meantime, I wound up going back to college for a while. Then that's when I wound up working at Western Cardiology because I'd already had the experience working at the family doctor's office for a few years. Okay. Where I was fully trained by the doctor himself. <laughs> so, yeah. I want to get into that in a little bit, but I want to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned about playing music with your dad and your sisters and right. harmonizing with your sisters and playing guitar, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess your dad facilitated that? Yeah, I think my dad came from a musical family. There were quite a few people, like sisters and brothers and their kids that uh, maybe once a year or every two years, we'd go back to the one of their farms on in Water Valley and everybody would kind of reunite and they'd all bring their guitars and everybody would play and as for at home yeah because uh, my sisters a lot of them were moved out when I was a kid so but every now and then you know Thanksgiving or other special occasions we would get together and they would bring their guitars and my dad and sisters would all sit around and harmonize and play and I was too little at the time I was seven when I started to learn how to play because I really wanted to get in and play with them right on and I learned on my dad's gibson j45 which was i think in 1957 i want to say um it was way too big for me so i had to hold it on my lap like flat and wrap my fingers around it was really difficult but i managed to play play it like that for probably a year before i finally could hold it properly but yeah they didn't have these little um parlor guitars and mini tailors and baby tailors and all that back then so you had to learn on the real thing that's cool it might have been for the best right yeah I probably mean, yeah it made it yeah. harder and to, to like i don't know made you work harder to get what you wanted mm -hmm. making music so okay let, let's try to take all these threads <laughs> of music uh through your lifetime and maybe pull them together a little bit that's what we started off talking about mm -hmm. uh okay so the conservatory of music but you went there for one year correct? yeah and then you said that in your spare time, you started doing karaoke. Is that what sort of led next, like when you were working? Yeah, or I don't even know what sparked me to do karaoke, like where that even came from. I was 20, I was going to say 25, but I think it was a little younger than that. I'm sure it was a little bit younger than that. And I, I kept all of, all of a sudden country music kind of took a turn. For the best, I mean, it started coming out with these like powerhouse singers like Martina McBride and Faith Hill and all these people that I, I just, I love to listen to them and I admired them so much. And there was a song called Independence Day by Martina McBride. And I was always hearing it on the radio and I would just belt it out. I'm like, I can do this. I can, I can actually, I found my voice deep inside myself way beyond what I learned in choral music. And I mean, I'm sure part of that shaped me for for just knowing my range and everything, but to actually belt it out and sing out there, sing out there to the world instead of just singing to myself or singing in amongst a group of, you know, a choir or, um, you know, just singing to myself, playing my guitar in the living room, you know? And I was like, you know what? I can sing like 
I can sing like that. I can belt this out. So I, I, I saw this um, sign. I guess I kept driving past this pub that had a karaoke sign. And I was like, oh, I really want to, I want to try to go sing this. And then I saw this sign for a competition. And I was like, I'd only sang, I think, karaoke in some bar in Lloyd Minster back when I was 18, just, you know, with a couple of other people. And we just, you know, had a couple drinks and just belted out some old Disney tune or something like that. But it was nothing serious. But anyways, so this this time I saw this uh, karaoke contest. And I was like, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to sing this song. And uh, I wasn't going to go in the contest, but they kind of encouraged me to just to just do it, just to go in the contest. So I sang this Martina McBride <laughs> Independence Day and I won this contest. And my parents happened to come out with me. I don't know why why that happened, but they were like, we didn't know you could sing like that. <laughs> like they knew I could sing and that I would always loved singing. But and I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't really know that either. And then all of a sudden I just started doing that and um, eventually started actually I was invited to host karaoke. So I did that also um, for a few years in Souk. So I did it um, Wednesday and Saturday nights. I hosted uh, karaoke at the Castle Pub there. And then the guy who owned the unit, uh, Sean, uh, I can't remember what his company's name was that owned that karaoke unit. But he did it all over the city. He had various venues where he would uh, have karaoke uh different nights of the week and every now and then he'd need somebody to fill in so I'd go you know either to Sydney or Ma Miller's or wherever like there were various pubs all over so I'd I'd hosted a few of them Brentwood Bay I think was one but yeah so I kind of got out there a little bit like that and then I met some people in the music world and started playing with a band called Larry Lawrence and the Lonesome Hound Dogs cool name really really cool name his name is actually larry statland but you know his um and he's american but living up here because his wife is canadian they met at yale and he was a house husband but pursuing his music career because she had the she was the breadwinner um so i yeah i played as a guest artist with their band on several occasions really excellent little trio band and you would do covers all the time, or did you have your own music as well? I uh, did a couple of originals. In fact, I co-wrote some stuff with Larry back then and uh, and did some of my own stuff. And uh, Larry actually helped produce the demo that I did, which was at Zero Gravity Studios at the time. I don't even know if they're still around, but they were like a really high-end studio cost me five grand to put uh, three songs down back wow. then. That was a lot of money. No kidding. Uh, for me at the time. I mean, it was a really good quality demo, but I still was never happy with it. I think artists are never happy with hearing themselves recorded. I don't know. Like for me, uh, I'm just like, I'm never satisfied. I'm like, I know I can do better, you know, when I hear that. But people hear you differently than how you hear yourself. And I've been told that so many times and and, uh, you know, I believe that because I say the same thing about other people when I think, you know, you guys sound amazing. They're like, oh, <laughs> you know, everybody's always hard on themselves. Yeah. It, it's amazing how it's a universal human thing. We're yeah. Always <laughs> hard on ourselves. Like, yeah, I, I get it. Even doing this, when I listen back to this, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I wish I would have said something different there or yeah. whatever, you know? Oh. So I, I get it. I think, and we all get it. Any creative output that we have in yeah. our lives, we're the toughest on ourselves, which 
is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Would it be better if we weren't tough on ourselves? It seems like it, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. What do you think about that? I think think I'm less tough on myself now, but... Still, as far as the recording goes, like I'll look, I'll look back once in a while, and I'll pull it out and I'll listen to my old recordings. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds sounds okay, but um, I still think I could have <laughs> done better. But um, you know, it's kind of a live and learn thing. And now I just, you know, I'm more accepting, I suppose. Of, I mean, with especially our recording on the the local uh, singer songwriters compilation CD. I was way more happy with that because I felt confident with the band. Uh, I felt confident with Adam uh, Dobre's in the recording studio. That's where the tracks were all recorded. Uh, he was fantastic. Um, ben McConkey, of course, was involved and uh, he was great help as well. So I, I felt confident with not just like not just myself, but with the people I was working with, be it the band members, uh, producers, you know, um, it was just a better feeling than, say, back in my 20s when I was super green at it. And I didn't really know a lot of the people I was working with. Whereas here, like, everybody was super welcoming and helpful, like typical Pender. Totally, yeah. <laughs> Right? So that's what made it, I think, better. Plus with wisdom and age, I suppose, too, you know, was able to be more accepting. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just wondering, what do you think your proudest moment is through the years of music? What do you think? Looking back on that, you have the the warmest feeling within yourself about the warmest feeling. That is really tough to narrow down. I I think doing I think recording that song with my friends and band members, co band members was very warming. Like it just felt so right, and I felt really good to be a part of that album being a part of Pender and it just kind of felt I don't know how I could the best word to describe it um I just felt more like I'm more a part of Pender even just being a part of that CD even though it's not going to be like forever marketed I think there was limited supply put out but people have them in their homes and um I just I don't know I felt more connected with Pender I think a lot of the performances I've done here too uh, have been very warm. Uh, I used to play with uh, another band. Oh, I can't even remember what we called ourselves back then. Um, That's okay. No, no worries. Gosh, anyway, yeah, we made some really good music together too. And um, yeah, I'd say probably all my warmest moments were Pender moments Sweet. with my music. I can't, I can't really nail down one particular moment, but There's nothing that makes you feel more warm and fuzzy than hitting those harmonies with the other vocalists in your band. And also, you know, like the musicians just adding their little touches um, and their, you know, their personalities to the music as well, not just the vocalist. But that that sort of feeling you get when your voices collide or mesh, I guess, collide and mesh together is is just something really really special and i found a lot of that here on pender too that's so sweet yeah. that's fantastic what was the name of the song that you recorded for the album uh the song we recorded is up on my hill which is one i wrote in about 10 minutes one morning it <laughs> has a bit of a story because uh the musicians of pender had and uh really kind of pushed forward by Ben McConkie uh, was to have an open mic 
where all the musical talents of Pender could come and um, display their originals. He really was promoting originals, didn't totally shun uh, covers, but the whole idea was uh, the open mic would be somewhere where you would bring your originals to and not be, you know, sort of laughed at. Like, it doesn't matter how raw it was, you could have had part of a song written, just bring it out there, maybe somebody might have some ideas. So the first open mic was coming up and I was laying in bed that morning thinking, I haven't or hadn't written an original song in years. And I'm not one of these people who just sits down uh, methodically like a lot of these songwriters workshops will say, just sit down every day and write whatever comes to your head and a song will come out of it eventually. And I'm thinking, yeah, and a million monkeys typing in a million typewriters might produce the works of Shakespeare, but that's not me. I have to be inspired. I ha something has to come to me. And um, I was laying in bed that morning looking out my window. It was kind of a dreary gray day, but it was one of those days that was just kind of mystical and just super, super still, like not a breath of air at all. And looking out the window, I was like, wow, it's so still, thinking to myself really still up on my hill <laughs> but I still get some thrills up on my hill <laughs> and I just started going off with that and I got out of bed and I was like I gotta go let the chickens out oh yeah I have chickens and I was outside taking the dog out letting the chickens out and I was like muttering away to myself forming this song so before I went to that open mic I'd that night I'd sat down and I had got this song essentially underway structured after that night I got together with David Wright who helped me sort of refine the song a little bit and uh and then of course with um well, I played with David for years here and then Marty um Thompson is another one of our uh vocalists and musicians in the band that we have uh formed over the years um so yeah we we kind of just tweaked the song a little bit here and there with chords and and tones and that and uh, they added some harmonies and that took a little while but uh, that was my first sort of written song on Pender as well but just inspired by that open mic and the thought of yeah I can't let my music die I gotta get out there and do this so yeah, yeah. That, that's cool you mentioned Ben McConkey and so I'm not a musician but I attended the uh the open mic nights because they were performances and open to members of the public and they had various incarnations in various different places but I can remember him as the MC of it saying yeah. listen you musicians like yeah. you're not going to get up here and playing the song <laughs> you've been doing for 30 years and have a, like a wank fest okay you're going to write something new and don't bring some covers here and, yeah. and the encouraging aspect of that was creativity mm -hmm. and it, it kind of sounds like that uh you were sort of pushed a little bit by Ben as I think a lot of people were to yes to, a lot of people I think were yeah yeah sure. right like expand your mm -hmm. creative uh capabilities because oh if you want to perform at the open mic it's got to be something a little bit new right yeah 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 totally yeah that was good I wanted to actually uh get into uh your husband because you mentioned your husband before Steve mm -hmm. and I'm curious about how you met oh. so <laughs> a lot of people know your husband uh, Steve Richards and how did you guys wind up meeting well, that's an interesting kind of story. Um, I had been recently divorced. I was married once before, no children from that marriage. I had moved back home with my parents for a while, and I was sort of getting back on my feet. 
putting some money away and getting myself organized. And I wasn't really ready to meet anybody. And I went to, um, I said to my mom one night, I was like, what, how about we go down to the the pub and I'll, uh, it's karaoke night and we'll play some pool and, and uh, have a beer. So she's like, yeah, okay, let's go do that. So we went out and meanwhile, backing things up a little bit, I had been, of course, hosting karaoke, going to karaoke here and there. And um, there was this one fellow I just knew. I mean, it was a small-ish town. His name was Andrew. And he was always super nice to me. And I knew he kind of had a crush on me, but I had been married, right? So he didn't, didn't overstep his bounds or be disrespectful or anything, but I knew. And so I thought, and he was kind of cute. So I, I thought that maybe when we went out that night, oh, maybe this Andrew guy will be there and I'll, you know, tell him I'm divorced now and kind of, you know, <laughs> silly. Anyway, so he was there. This Andrew guy was there that night and he was playing darts because that's usually why he was there. He was on a dart team. So we were sitting down at the hearth at the fireplace, had a nice, big, beautiful fireplace there. Sat down with him. I was talking to him for not even two minutes and this guy comes and sits, plunks himself right down beside me, on the other side of me. And Andrew says, oh, Shelly, this is, this is Steve. He's the captain of my dart team. I'm like, oh, hi. And I'm thinking, go away. I'm trying to talk to this guy. <laughs> and then he's like, Andrew, you're up. And he's like, oh, okay. And so, and then Steve kind of looks at me, and I looked at him, and he kind of gets up and walks away. And then a few minutes later, my mom goes, that guy keeps checking you out. I'm like, what guy thinking she means Andrew? <laughs> and then she points to Steve. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's nice. And um, I'm like, I don't even know who that guy is. Like, where did he come from? I've never seen him in my life before. He's the captain of the dart team here. So he must have been around for a while. And then I found out not too much longer. He's a contractor. I can't even remember when. But so... Uh, a few minutes later, I was called up to sing karaoke, so I still hadn't got back to talking with Andrew. So it was my turn. I was singing karaoke. And uh, Andrew walks by and kind of gives me a little wave. And then I kind of shrug my shoulders and look at him, and I'm singing. And he points behind him to Steve, who's rattling his keys, who was apparently Andrew's designated driver. So Steve was leaving, taking Andrew home. He's my driver. Sorry, got to go, you know, see you again, whatever. It was no big deal. I'm like, okay. So then 20 minutes later, guess who comes back to the pub? <laughs> Steve. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how it all started. <laughs> that's the night you met. Okay, right on. That's the night I'm, well, that's technically not the first night we met, apparently, because, which we very quickly found out within a week of talking to each other was that I had actually met him uh, a couple of years prior at his nephew's wedding. So his nephew was marrying one of my best friends at the time. Okay. And I attended that wedding and so did Steve, but I was married at the time. I was getting very close to being divorced at that time, but I was still married. And that actually night was the kind of night that broke straw that broke the camel's back so my husband and I went to that wedding and I was really annoyed because I was always a designated driver and this was the one time I had asked him to be my designated driver and he bailed on me at the wedding and went home 
He's like, y- you're fine. You'll get a ride back to your mom and dad's. It'll be okay. So he took off back to town, which is where we were living, because he just wanted to go home. He didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> so I was really choked. And uh, I don't know, I was venting away. I guess I went up to the bar to get a drink and Steve was there and I was venting away to him about it or something. Like, oh. I didn't even barely remember that at all. And uh, But Steve brought that up, <laughs> told me that years later. <laughs> You actually met me before, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, really strange. But anyway, so the rest is uh, history. We were together for four years before we actually got married. And uh, we're coming up on our 19th anniversary. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. I love hearing uh, stories about how people meet. I think it's it's always pretty humorous, right? And uh, thanks for sharing that, was, that. Yeah, it's pretty funny, actually. Uh, well, seeing how we're talking about uh, you and Steve, I've got a word, and it's Halloween. Ah, yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess to sort of set this up for people listening is that you guys love Halloween. Mm-hmm. And you you've had uh, a history with uh, having Halloween parties that I actually found out today when you came here to our house that it actually started here, which kind of blows me away. But yeah. uh, maybe you could uh, explain a little bit of your love of Halloween and how you and Steve like to celebrate it. Yeah, okay, well... This house, one of my uh, first best friends when I moved here, uh, she had a little girl who was the same age as our son, and they quickly became friends, as did uh, Carrie and myself. And um, we decided it was 12 years, 13 years ago. I guess the kids were like three, might have even been 14 years ago. We decided to co-host a Halloween party. Our house wasn't really set up. We didn't have railings on our decks yet or anything like that, so we weren't sort of safety set up for having a big party at the time but this house was um pretty much set up for it uh so we co-hosted sort of financially and um as far as decorating went I'd come over and we did a bunch of that crafted all the invitations and we had a big huge Halloween party here (laughs) Uh, mostly it was outside the weather was decent so we you know we had a fire and a graveyard and lots of decorations lots of food and I met a lot of people at that party, which is nice that I hadn't previously known. So, uh, and then after that, we decided the following year to have it at our place because we were set up to do it. And then pretty much almost every year since, I think there was obviously last year uh, we didn't because of the sort of restrictions and whatnot. I think there was one other year we didn't do it. And then in this year, of course, just a few uh, close friends but not not the normal party. But yes, in the past, our parties were kind of iconic. We would just decorate the grounds, the driveway. We'd ask people to bring their carved pumpkins and drop them up the driveway, sort of to light the pathway. A lot of people were really into helping out that way. And uh, we had a graveyard and outdoor decorations, the whole inside of the house's haunted house. We had outdoor area where you could sit, bonfire, plus we had, um, you know, covered area on the deck case it rained and kind of like everything to be had um music and lots of food we'd always do a lot of food and um sometimes we'd have you know up to 200 people come through wow seriously yeah yeah not the same amount every year but most years we'd have quite you know quite a lot of people come through they didn't all stay all night some people will just come and bring their kids for a walk through at the end of the trick-or-treating on uh, on privateers um other people would you know, come and stay, 
<laughs> Always fun. Yeah, well, because I went two years ago to your Halloween party and Jennifer, my wife, who you worked with at the clinic, mm-hmm. said, oh, Shelly invited us to a Halloween party. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's walking distance right on. Yeah. That'll be kind of fun. But it blew my mind. I was <laughs> I was so stunned, right? Because first of all, you make an incredible amount of food, mm-hmm. incredible amount of delicious food. I was stunned at that, how generous uh, you are in, in that circumstance. And then also you guys have... A, amazing fireworks display that uh was something that you'd see in in some sort of like a professional setting (laughs) it was it was an incredible night it was one of the best halloweens i've ever had by far really it was it was so fun and it because it just it just exceeded my expectations of what a halloween party was supposed (laughs) to be right i don't know if it's supposed to be like that but it just kind of combined effort uh my husband's like kind of a big kid when it comes to you know, he wants the, the kids to really enjoy it, too. So he always kind of goes all out that way. And he wants to treat, you know, if we're going to have a party, he just kind of wants to treat everybody. So, um, you know, he kind of went all, he likes the kids to see the fireworks. And um, I mean, of course, the adults like <laughs> enjoy it as well. But yeah, he's really supportive of whatever I want to prepare food wise. And um, we usually have a kind of a full bar going and juice boxes for the kids and water and what tea and coffee whatever you want but uh yeah it's kind of our big thing i mean a lot of people do christmas parties and that but i don't know <laughs> it's cool no and so over it's the fun. years you've accumulated a whole bunch of different uh yeah. decorations as well too right yeah 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 it'd be nice to go full-blown again one day if we ever can but yeah well pretty cool sure. and the fact that 200 people in one night could come and go through there in the past. That's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. That's like really providing a nice experience for yep. so many people. And everybody was very respectful. I mean, again, something different that you might not find in in town or in other areas where, you know, you could have that many people come through your house and everybody is respectful. Children and adults alike. And I think there was only one year where some completely drunk guy showed up at our party. We had no idea who he was. And he was stumbling around. And uh, he got in the house. He couldn't find his way out. And finally he left. And um, all he did was photobomb a couple of uh, <laughs> pictures. But that was about it. Innocent. He was otherwise fun. harmless. <laughs> nice. Um, something that just came to mind that I just remembered that you're part of is uh, on Facebook, the Pender Island Positivity page. Yeah. Yeah. The and Positive Vibes did page. You, pos- oh, right. Positive Vibes page. Did you start that? I did not start it. I'm not sure who started it, but um, Ben is the other admin. He's not really active as an admin. He kind of stuck me with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was on there and he asked me if I would consider helping him be an admin on it. I was already an admin on the Pender Island Forum and the Pender Island Online Market. So I'm kind of used to that. And I figured, well, how hard can a positive vibes page be? It's not going to be that much work. And it's not actually. It's the least amount of work being an admin on the positive vibes page. There's hardly anything I have to do except for, you know, accept uh, membership requests. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about being an admin on the other pages or not, or sure. like what that's like. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I think that's a tough job to do to have to be an administrator on certain pages. Not everybody wants to do it. It's not a job. A lot of people are putting oh, their hands up for tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you tell me about you it. You try and recruit somebody to admin the forum with you. That's probably the most 
that's probably the toughest one. Um, the forums are usually pretty good. Uh, there are times when things come up that get a little out of hand, but um, we haven't, you know, we try to work together as admin to solve problems. We've gone through a few admins since I've taken it on after Rachel recruited me because she was leaving and she was really diligent and hoping to recruit some people who would, would care about it as much. And it is. You do have to care about it and care about the people in the community to make sure that that page operates smoothly. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of mayhem. So there is a little bit of diligence. You know, you have to sometimes remove posts or get after people and you don't really want to but I mean it has to be done just for I think the safety there was only I think one instance where since I've been admin where police were kind of uh, RCMP was involved uh, we had to get them involved mildly not majorly but just mentioning a couple of things to them but and honestly that's it's sad that that does happen but I mean it's going to happen in as, as awesome as Pender is, and it is a wonderful community, there's still going to be imperfections and um, and there's still going to be negative things that come up. Uh, there's still going to be disputes, disagreements. I mean, we are humans and that's what we do. Uh, and our job as admin is to try and keep that as civilized as possible on the forum. So. Mm-hmm. And so if people listening to this right now are probably aware of the fact that these things exist in terms of the Pender Island form, Mm -hmm. the online market, because there's a good chance they actually came across this podcast from the online market. Uh, So, but in in terms of uh, explaining the difference between the two, the form is a place where people go to discuss uh, issues, topics that are pertinent to Pender Island. And then the, uh, the online market is a place where people can buy or sell items generally uh, yes yeah. yeah yeah correct and sometimes people i mean sometimes there's harmless things that come up that we have to remove because they just don't belong there um but that's rare the other thing that both uh, platforms offer is a place to post for your missing pets for example or lost and found kind of bulletin board uh, items. We do have a Pender Island bulletin board as well, but I think so many people are on uh, members of the online market. First and foremost, that is our largest platform on Pender. So I would recommend um, anything lost and found go on there first and foremost, because there are a lot of people who just don't want to be involved with the, the politics of the forum. And uh, I don't blame them because you really have to compartmentalize to be a part of that group, I think, which takes a little bit of you know, that's a certain personality trait and some people just don't want to to get involved or even know that side of Pender. And I don't blame them because there's, you know, but there's a lot of useful things on on um, the forum as well, like that the dip discussion, for example. Ooh, big hot the topic dip, right now. Yeah, the hot dip topic. <laughs> yeah. The road to the South Island has a traffic light on it now. Yeah. Who would ever thought oh, the first traffic light would be right it's there? scary. I know. I kept thinking, what's it going to have to do? Wash away before they do something about it? But no, I get it. They were monitoring it to see, I guess, you know, what, and now they're discussing, oh, what now what's the best method to fix this long term now that now that it's been sort of uh, monitored for a while. But uh, so it looks like something is 
in the works, which is good. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I think anybody who, uh, of course, lives on the South Island or uh, has Mm -hmm. made a trip down there is uh, familiar with the uh, little sketchy section that uh, has a a road sign that says the word dip before you approach it. Yeah, a giant dip. (laughs) And if you just happen to blink and miss that sign and go around the corner and hit that dip, well... (laughs) Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, totally not. Totally not. And I guess things just got accelerated with the problem because of the giant rainstorm that happened three yes. or four weeks ago. Oh, yeah, and that was scary. I was really concerned that something might happen there. Yeah. And now there's a traffic light and uh, the only way through is one car at a time from either side. Um, so that's the hot topic right now or one of yeah. them on the uh, Pender Island forum. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And I hear what you're saying about maybe not wanting to some people not wanting to get involved on the forum because i i'm one of those people i uh, go on the market from time to time but i've never been a part of the forum because right. I, don't, I don't really want to know <laughs> yeah well and you don't have to know i mean you're gonna know from your friends and neighbors if there's something really really pressing but you don't have to be on the forum to know what's going on in the community although it's helpful to know like what islands trust is doing because that's always you know posted on there what you know what's come up at other meetings and so stuff like that is helpful if you're a homeowner, I suppose. Um, also housing, like that's another. There's a Pender Island housing page as well. Mm-hmm. But that that topic comes up on the forum from time to time, which I think is is useful in our community where there seems to be a, a housing crisis for renters yeah. or leasers. Well, I, I want to give like an emphatic thanks for uh, being the administrator for those things because it seems like an incredibly thankless job, I would imagine. It can be. <laughs> it definitely can be. Um, there's only three of us at, uh, as admin on the forum right now. One admin isn't very active. The other one is, she's actually not even living on Pender. She is a family counselor out of Salt Spring. Uh, we, we normally would only use Pender people, but nobody would step up to the plate. So she offered, uh, she does come over here to work as a fam- family counselor through the ministry. So um, I made that executive decision to accept that application as admin because honestly, I just didn't want to do it by myself. Other admin had left and they'd had enough. I don't blame them, to be honest, with a couple of things that have come up over the past year or so. But uh, I hung in there, I guess. And um, fortunately, nothing major came up while I was on my own. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Allison Stark. She's a codeman. And Catherine Allison, too, who has strong family connections here, uh, is also one of the other admins. She's also an admin on the market, and she no longer lives here, but her parents do. Um, but she's been a valuable asset to um, being an admin on both those, especially the market. She's pretty active on that as admin. Nice. But yeah, and then we have a couple of other admin on the market. Deb. And then Pierre, um, everybody knows Pierre. <laughs> he's one of our mods, or he is a mod on the um, market. So he's been extremely helpful as well. Yeah. And I saw the uh, Pender Positive Vibes page maybe a few days ago or so, and I was checking to see how many people were on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't know how many, but it, it paled in comparison to the to the online market. But uh, right. it's really nice. It's really people are taking pictures of things they see, yes. like mushrooms on the island or uh scenery and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a really nice friendly folksy little yes. page yeah it's really nice yeah totally it's very pleasant i think fewer people are members because 
Like the online market, we have a lot of people from surrounding uh, islands, people from the mainland and Vancouver Island who visit Pender often or occasionally, and they just want to be part of the market in case something comes up that they want or want to buy or whatever. So we, we, we wind up getting a bigger platform because of that. Right. And usually those people have some kind of connection to Pender, be it family or property or whatever. So I think that's why the, the market has such a huge platform compared to the others. But yeah, we're getting more and more people um, joining the Positive Vibes page, which is nice because it's, you know, it's, there's some beautiful t- photography on that page for sure. Totally. Yeah. Do you miss the bulletin board at the Driftwood Center <clears throat> as opposed to uh, the online market? Do I miss the bulletin board? Yeah, because nobody posts things on the bulletin board anymore. Ah. I don't even really look at it anymore because there's there's hardly anything on there. I give it a fleeting glance, but uh, yeah. I, I never feel as if there's uh, there's a lot of new things going yeah. on there because everything's being centralized. Into... That's true. You're right. You know, I've I've almost forgot about that bulletin board. I used it years and years ago, but then once I started, you know, getting kind of more calls than I could handle for food jobs, I just I didn't bother with <clears throat> hardly advertising anymore. So <laughs> totally, yeah. I'm putting it out as a challenge to people listening right now. Yeah, that, uh, I think it's a good idea. Want to have some fun? Throw something up on the bulletin board. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it too. I'm going to throw something up on the bulletin board. That's a good idea. Uh, why not? Let's For do sure. It. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Use the bulletin board. Pender classic stuff. Yeah. Um, I think we'll uh, we'll start to wind it down in a short period of time here. But I think I was just going to throw it back to you for a little bit and ask: Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention that you wanted to uh, let people know about about yourself oh well what some people might uh know me my little nickname is shelly cakes <laughs> well i forgot to mention with my culinary background that uh i somehow got started on baking um baking cakes at browning pub or browning marina uh, when Joe was a general manager there before their current owner. So I used to go there every week and make this uh, ultimate chocolate cake, which I designed for for the pub there and, and the restaurant. Uh, and at the time, I was whenever I went there to bake, um, Ben was the head cook in the kitchen there, Ben um, Toffelmeyer, who wound up starting up Penderosa Pizza with Weedy, as everybody knows Weedy. Um, but anyway, so I worked in the kitchen with Ben and Calvin and a few others, but Ben is the one who, uh, Ben Toffelmeyer is the one who dubbed me as Shelly Cakes, because <laughs> I would walk and he's like, hey, how's Shelly Cakes today? <laughs> so I was there to make the cake, but I, I did that for a few years, actually, um, until just after Joe left. A lot of the staff left, just from the changes that were being made, a lot of the staff changed it. And I just wasn't, you know, the morale was kind of down temporarily there. I know it's back up and everything, but just, you know, over the changes and everything, uh, a lot of us left and I I just didn't want to be there if I couldn't work with the same people. So, (laughs) which I very much enjoyed at the time. And I, you know, left with the changes, I guess, with everybody else. But uh, it was a, uh, that was a very memorable time for me here too. When Pender was, was going and baking in that kitchen with, with the crew there. Nice. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that uh, you did that. I guess so many people have worked through uh, Browning over the years. Right? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. 
you mentioned uh, Calvin. That's uh, somebody I'm friends with, and he's a he's a great guy. Yeah, and Ben he as well is. too. And I worked with both of them. I worked at Poets, and mm-hmm. uh, and I got to know both those guys through yeah. that. And uh, both really good guys. And yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Ben had passed away in yeah in about a year ago. Just over a year ago. Yeah, yeah. That was very sad. Yeah. Yeah, but um, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I said we just we definitely missed him. Yeah. He's- missed greatly by the community and we all miss a ban on the pizza place and uh which of course uh went uh closed up shortly after that <clears throat> what with the change of ownership of the building there i gather mm-hmm. but yeah that's too bad yeah shelly cakes <laughs> Right on. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, I feel like you mentioned a lot of people along the way. I used to ask people the question, like, who's helped you on Pender Island? But it felt as if after a while, people were afraid to to uh, leave people out That because uh, this island's a really helpful place. And I think yeah. that uh, a lot of people had been helped along the way. And I, I know that you mentioned a lot of names during this interview of uh, Pender Island peeps yeah. uh, who uh, have been... Uh, part of your experience mm-hmm. on the island it's, here it's hard to include everything because i've done i think i've done more in my life in the last 16 years almost 17 years that we've lived here or had property here wait a minute my son's 16 so no almost 16 years since we've lived here um then i have my whole life i just feel like i've accomplished more in that amount of time i don't know it's probably silly to say that but i have more like more profound memories i think since living on pender of family and friends and community and everything yeah yeah it's a wonderful place mm-hmm. right on <laughs> thanks for doing this Shelley. you're welcome <laughs> thanks for inviting me all right well thank you so much to shelly for doing that interview and to honor that interview i decided i would come down to the medicine beach bulletin board So there is a old bulletin board located by the Medicine Beach Market, just closer to the roadside here. And the reason I decided to come down here was when Shelly and I were talking about the online market and the bulletin board at the Driftwood Center, I remembered this one. And I have not looked at this one in ages and sitting here right now inside my car on a cold winter's day where it's zero degrees out. I'm looking at it and there are two signs <laughs> on it. This thing doesn't get used very much. And uh, maybe part of the reason is because it's exposed to the weather. There's a little bit of a uh, cute wooden shingle roof to it. But I think that the uh, the recent snow and wind that we had blows some of the signs off. So maybe that's part of the reason. That, uh, there's not very many signs on here. But this is uh, one of these features that exists on the island that is quickly becoming obsolete and might not be here for much longer. And I I really like bulletin boards. I like the homemade signs that people make. And I'm going to personally make an effort, like I said, to put some more signs up myself because I think that uh, that's something that I want to have remain on the island and, and still be used. So there we go. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast and staying around to the very end. It means a lot. I'm happy that people decide to listen to these things. So thank you. Thank you to Ben McConkie for providing the theme music for this show. And until next time.